it almost doesn't matter how amazing the thing is if everyone else is going to have the same thing. And so the question is just like, how does one differentiate? Like that's the whole goal of marketing, like be better than other people, like sell more products. I'm Greg Stewart, CEO of MMA Global. I'm Rex Briggs, an author, market researcher, entrepreneur, and now chief AI officer at Claritas. And this is Decoding AI for Marketing. Hey, Greg, one thing about technology is it very oftentimes has democratizing effects. Blogs made it so anyone could be a writer, and YouTube has made it so you can become a breakout pop star without a record deal. My son Jared decided to do a summer experiment and got to 200,000 subs in a matter of months and has had over 135 million views to his car videos. And AI is making it so that all kinds of people can create things that they used to need more specialized training to do. But when technology creates a more even playing field and everyone has the same access to the same machines, how do you differentiate yourself? On the academic side of things, this is mirrored in another debate around AI where there's a difference between the quality of the AI models themselves and the data feeding into those models. But in terms of marketing, our guest today thinks that the ability for everyone to access these tools means that the creative inputs will become even more important. Listen, Alex Colmer is the founder and CEO of VidMod. It's a creative performance platform for marketing. We're going to start talking to him about a new paradigm he sees emerging That really, in essence, means that it's the insights and the people's analysis of that insights that really makes a difference for the machines. I think that this is a new paradigm for multiple reasons. The first is just sort of changing the nature of how people view where technology can be applied in in marketing. Everyone expects to use technology to relentlessly optimize and improve their media, targeting audience segmentation, et cetera. That's sort of a a given. At the same time, essentially everyone will agree that creative is the most important driver of performance. You sort of see Google with this stat out there that 70% of results are driven by the creative and I think Meta has a slightly smaller number, but still the majority. And yet very little technology is utilized to actually understand creative or to optimize it. And so the first paradigm shift is us simply saying, hey, that's not right. It's time now to start building technology so that creative can become a lever to optimize alongside with media. And so that's the task that we've been working on now for the better part of eight years. In addition to that, now you have the, the advent of AI, which is on one hand, making it easier to do that at scale, and then also creating a whole host of new challenges as just sort of the amount of content in the world moves to you know an infinite amount. And I think that's sort of where we are today, where we're sort of moving from you know sort of a world where content scarcity defined things to one where now essentially every marketer on the planet has you know a metaphorical button they can push to infinitize all their content, and we're heading into a world of total content abundance. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you make the point about creative and how important that is. I have always found it bizarre how fixated marketers were on media mix optimization when the message is foundational. And and I would say the audience also. But I mean, if you put a message that was just a blank white nothing, then you would have no lift. You would have no impact, no matter how much you spent on media, right? So why do you think... AI is going to change how people approach the message part. And tell us a little bit about what you're doing with computer vision and uh, looking at features, because I think that's really exciting. I mean, Rex, your point's exactly right. Like, I, I was actually talking with 
you know, one of the leaders at a provider today. And one of the things we were sort of, in a sense, kind of laughing about was the underlying assumption of this is that sort of all creative is the same. And, you know, anyone who's seen, you know, a great Apple or Nike or any ad and can compares that to sort of like a basic cable ad knows that there's just, you know, that's a fundamentally flawed premise. To your second part of like, how do we use AI to understand this? Like, ultimately, what VidMob does is, at least in terms of understanding it, it's it's relatively simple. So, you know, we work with, you know, very large marketers. Yeah, uh, I think we work with something like 70% of the top 20 marketers. And they will use our technology to connect the different places where they are spending dollars. So, you know, their TikTok accounts, their Amazon accounts, their Meta accounts, their Google, et cetera. And when it does that, our platform ingests every ad they've run over the last few years, which is often going to be, you know, tens or even hundreds of thousands of individual pieces of creative. And it'll go through every one of them individually and look kind of frame by frame and turn all of that creative into data. You know, so you just take sort of like a 10 second long Instagram ad and in every frame, there are things that are happening and there's things that are not. There may or may not be a logo present. You know, the actress may be holding up the package of, of the lotion or she may be you know, rubbing it on her hand. There's a certain pacing. There's, you know, the text is taking up a certain size. There's, you know, emotions are exhibited on her face, et cetera, et cetera, to infinity. So we take all of that creative decision information and then we pull all the behavior signals from the platform uh, APIs. So all of the sort of, you know, media behaviors, the upper funnel, you know, engagement view through, et cetera, all the way down to kind of lower funnel sales, et cetera, et cetera. And then simply we cross those two data sets the sort of creative attribute and the behavior. And then we have a number of ML models we've built over the years that sort of go through that and surface insights. So then we can go back to a client and say, hey, if you're trying to drive three-second view rate on TikTok in the Philippines for women in their 30s, it seems like you should do more of this and less of that. And then we give them means either through their internal team, through you know agencies or, or through our platform to then essentially instantly respond to those insights with improved creative and we can measure the impact. Hey, Alex, give an example of maybe where you've seen that. Like, listen, you just picked a very specific, you know, age limit country. Like, is there something standard in some regard against some group that you can suggest just to illustrate the point? The most basic standard. And we have scoring tools that will sort of score all of contents is just making sure that people are adhering to sort of like platform best practices. So, you know, I'm not suggesting in any way that this is going to be the solve to everyone's you know, marketing problems. But if you're marketing on, you know, Meta or YouTube, there just are certain things that are kind of no brainers. You know, like, is your logo showing up in the first three seconds? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is there a strong call to action? You'd be stunned by what percentage of creative doesn't follow these best practices. And so when you then show someone that say, hey, here's all of your media. And if you look at all the dollars you've spent and all these ads and all these impressions you've created, on average, only 3% of the audience is left by the time you show your logo and call to action. So you're basically doing a just a solid for the category. <laughs> you're boosting all your competitors the same you are for yourself. When people see that, they sort of very quickly understand the kind of most basic but Greg, I can give you like a more specific and interesting example. You know, we were working with a cruise line business and our platform came back. And what we saw was that for people under 30 on Facebook, waterfalls and horses were really significant drivers of results. Huh. And so if we were just an AI, yeah, sort of like essentially like DCO tool, you'd have instantly now a bunch of ads turned around that were just like waterfall and horses you know, yep. to, to infinity. 
But what happens is like now an, an analyst looks at that and is able to say, hey, the, the insight isn't actually that horses and waterfalls are, are needed. It's that people under 30 are going on cruises because they actually want to experience the world. It's about adventure and it's about being off the ship. This client then was able to quickly rework their creative for people under 30 on Facebook around adventures, around experiences off the boat. And what we saw was instantly, essentially tripled their results. And so what it is, is just this like intermixing of data that was previously unattainable, but then sort of an, a human interpretation that can take it from sort of like a machine insight to that strategic insight that it can actually move a business. Oh, I love that. Yeah, one of the things I think is really interesting is that content analysis has been around for a long time. I mean, on the internet, if you go to the 1997 IAB ad effectiveness report, the first, I think it was 13 banners that were measured. Scott McDonald, who's now the head of the Advertising Research Foundation, and I did the analysis of how much clutter there was, whether the logo was there, and so forth. So it's sort of amazing that you, you say that even after all these decades, there are still marketers getting that wrong. So oh how God. do you transform something? I mean, now you you have so much more analysis, so many more versions, and you've brought computer vision to the game. How do you transform an organization if they've known some of these best practices for a long time, but they haven't been listening? Are they listening now because you have AI or because you have data? Or what's what changes that dynamic? Probably because they pay Alex, so they better listen to him, I think, is what's happening here, <laughs> right? I mean... <laughs> I, I think it's a couple of things. I, I think it's because they see results and they hear about them elsewhere. So that's one. I think it's also because at some level they've, they've recognized that they've kind of lost control. You know, like th this is all sort of part of a progression where, you know, they might have originally only had one or, or a couple of agencies and they might have only been, you know, advertising on, you know, one or a couple platforms. But today when you're talking to these sort of, you know, large global enterprise marketers, they might have hundreds or even thousands of agencies. And they're communicating across dozens of platforms that are changing all the time and, and have literally like you know, hundreds of formats. And so they've totally lost control. They have no idea if the content you know, from like a D&I perspective is actually representative of the audience that they're trying to talk to. They have no idea if, if people are using this year's logo or last year's logo. You know, If they're rolling out a new package type, they have no idea if it's still showing the old detergent container or the new one. So you're saying it's a scale and the complexity that now requires us to shift modes from relying on humans and ourselves to relying on the machines and its capability. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think it's also you know kind of like what we're seeing everywhere where it's sort of moving from serial processing to parallel processing, right? Like I think of an A-B test as sort of like a serial process. I'm going to test A versus B and then C versus D. And you know, it's not terribly useful to know that A is better than B. It ultimately, what you really want to know is why. And so what we're sort of giving clients the ability to do is say, hey, if you actually look at all 10,000 of your ads together in aggregate and all of the audience behavioral response to that, you can actually see that, you know, many of these insights that you thought were true from your A-B testing were actually wrong. It wasn't that the cat was better than the dog. It was that like the image in the back was nostalgic. Or, <laughs> yeah. And so I, I do think it's just about sort of technology enabling us to do something more interesting. How does VidMob actually isolate that kind of dynamic, Alex? Just make sure people are clear on that. So it's about looking at everything in aggregate is the key thing, Greg, right? So if, if, you're, if you're looking at one ad against another, it's very difficult to isolate. 
but if you're looking at a thousand ads together, then then you can actually isolate and figure out, all right, well, you know, the presence of this element is is a driver versus that one. These 300 ads are doing better than these other 700 ads, for example, using your number there. Correct. And we're able to identify that within, you know, 50 of those higher performers, the 300 that we're seeing this kind of pattern, it's the pattern recognition that you're able to get to. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think, you know, what, what Rex was talking about earlier, now the next exercise is going to be building the models to actually move from kind of elemental insights to, you know, sort of a next level up. And so this is sort of what we're working on doing now is, is sort of training things to actually essentially like, you know, bundle and group things together into more meaningful groups that then allow more strategic insights. And the way we go about it is, you know, VidMob is effectively all about building kind of a large scale reinforcement learning model for creativity. <laughs> What that means is that we're sort of capturing human decisioning on the actual creative side. So, so you know, for every project we're involved in, we have not just the end file, but the actual Adobe edit files. So, you know, not just the Mona Lisa, but every brushstroke along the way and all the client communications back and forth. And we can look at that as part of our training. And then in that sort of insight generation, it's derived by analysts in our platform, whether they be VidMob employees or agency employees or brand employees. And then we can track like, all right, we had an insight that said more horses, <laughs> more more adventures, and then tie it all the way through to lift or not lift. And then that flows back and actually you know, informs it for you know the next time around. So it's intended to be sort of reinforced through both performance signals and you know integrated human decisioning. Would you propose then that, it, that we never get away from humans in the mix? VidMob was founded specifically because... I felt like creativity was going to be one of the last areas to fall. And the idea of building technology to sort of augment and support you know, human labor felt like a, a worthy endeavor. Certainly now, things have changed a great deal with Gen AI, and it's starting to feel a lot like creativity is you know, ground zero for change. But you know, our, our view is that if your end goal is about emotional resonance and connecting in a unique way, I do think that sort of partnership of machine and, and sort of human for the last mile is going to continue to be important. And and that's sort of the area that we find ourselves most interested. Well, the data part's really interesting to me. You said a couple of things. One was just about how you're getting the source files with Adobe so you can see the process. That's really unique because a lot of people can go and connect up to the TikTok account, the Meta account, the Google account, and they can get that as well. We've seen a few other Gen AIs using that data source. And I've always felt like it's good data. It's interesting. It's a lot of data, but it's not really the right metrics because they force you into the metric that TikTok uses or that Meta uses. And they're not oftentimes the metric that the marketer really cares about. So one is I want to hear how you bridge or you're thinking about, can you get to more powerful metrics or is your secret sauce the fact that you've got that data, you've got a lot of experience using it, and then you you also have the Adobe flow and process? It's a great question. We started with those media metrics from, from the platforms. That was you know, kind of the beginning. And I think the, the reason to start there was you know, the APIs existed. It was sort of the, the logical place to start. But you're exactly right. Many of our clients, what they care about are you know, impact on brand. They care about impact on sales. And so now what we're seeing ourselves do you know, more and more is we're connecting into their you know, brand lift studies. Uh, and those might be from platforms. They might be from other providers. And then we're coming back and showing the impact of creative and how creative ties to brand impact. 
and there we're actually working on new methodologies with something we're working on with L'Oreal is bringing it down from the campaign level to sort of the asset and element level. Uh, and again, I think this is just something that kind of has to happen where like when we had less assets, you know, a, a, you know, 10, 20 years ago, it was okay to look at a campaign. But if you have 50,000 pieces of creative in market, like you need to know what's actually, what's driving brand lift and what's not. And then I think where things get really interesting, Rex, is tying through clean rooms to the you know, offline sales, you know, the, the real bottom line. So we're sort of in process now of hooking up those additional measurement pipes. And you know, we're working with Amazon on a partnership through AMC to tie through to, you know, to other data sources there. So it should get to like total business outcome. Down to the creative asset and down to the creative yeah. feature, which that's the key. That's what a lot of other people don't have. Exactly. Hey, Rex, let me ask you a question that's based on something Alex just said that, you know, hey, when you had a campaign, I think he said it was easy to get the creative right when you had, you know, simpler number of assets. But Rex, neither you or I believe that, correct? Well, I think in our book, we earlier, we found that uh, <laughs> even though that should be true, I think he was giving it's the not... benefit of the doubt to marketers. And that was very nice of you, Alex. Being, that was, was really nice, Alex. <laughs> but unfortunately, you're you're being too polite. Markers are wrong. Well, I mean, an example of that was actually like with ESPN, when they were doing World Series of Poker, they initially thought, because they're, you know, stick and ball guys, that they should just pile a big bunch of money on a table. And that's why people would want to watch the World Series of Poker. And what they learned was that that wasn't the motivation. The motivation was learning how to play better, watching the best players in the world compete. And they had to pivot their message, you know, back to your point, to then really show a whole different creative side of it. So I think that that's kind of the journey that we you know, have found time and time again where they don't know the motivations of the people, so they don't do the message right. And then, then nothing else really works as well as it could. Yeah, and I think there, when they, what they realized was that it was actually a math lesson, and that if you could show people the stats, you know, so they could actually learn how to play a hand, that was the, that was the unlock. It certainly unlocked it for me. But what Rex is getting at it is the work that you know. Listen, when he when he founded Multi Touch Attribution back in the early two thousands, and he did that uh, for himself, but you know, in part for me when I was running the IB and focused on trying to get markers to move to internet, which was very really hard to do, and. He actually really figured out in that research and the creation of MTA that there was like basically three things. You had to get your motivation and basically what's your strategy for communicating to consumers. Then you had to figure out if you communicate that clearly and then you had to get media mix right. And what we were finding again and again is that markers were either wrong in strategy and motivations. They didn't find a consumer insight that mattered, which is just insane that marketers wouldn't get that right. And then they didn't communicate it clearly. I think you're really solving clearly the messaging contribution. Do you think, though, that VidMob is able to go back and or AI can go back and figure out the strategy dynamic, the motivation issue of message development or marketing development? Well, I can tell you how we're sort of seeing it applied today because you know, I think sometimes you sort of build these things and you're not exactly sure how it's going to be applied by the end user. What we've seen is that VidMob is being utilized in kind of like four pretty clear use cases throughout the like content supply chain. So the first, and I think this sort of is what you're talking about, is upfront in sort of like creative planning where people are actually thinking about campaigns. Okay. That's a group that like is worried about not having access to data, right? They, they sort of feel like the media side has all the insights yeah. and, and they're not really generally shared. Yeah. The account planners want consumer insights. Absolutely. So they're hungry for you know, consumer insights, for creative insights. You know, they want to know, should I shoot it this way or that? Like, should do we want to like, so there's just basically like insights 
and learnings from the last campaign that show up in that process. So, so that, that's the first. Second is in the actual production. So, you know, where someone's like in the edit room, you know, making changes to content. We're actually in about a month launch a plugin that will sit inside of the Adobe creative environments, inside Illustrator, Premiere, and After Effects. So as someone is creating, before they even render the asset, They'll be able to test it to make sure that it's following the platform best practices. Check, check, check. That it's you know if they if the brand has learned that actually for them you know this other thing is important. You know you sort of have to open with an actress smiling and then show the relief of the you know the lotion or whatever. All of those things. Check, check, check. And then if you know what the audience is going to be, is it actually adhering to the best practices determined for that audience? So that you actually can't even render content until it's now compliant with all these sort of data driven rules. And what that does then, it, it just like up levels all the content that's coming off of the sort of production lines. And that by the time media catches it, they're not in the world that they've always been in where they're catching a bunch of things that aren't really fit for the plan, that aren't really designed for the channels they're going to be on. Like they just sort of eliminate all that. And then with the media teams, this is the, the third part, is they're taking the scores that are coming with this. So they know that if you have two assets and one has you know scores of 10 out of 100 on Pinterest and the other scores of 90 out of 100, well, you know what? Let's just make sure that that other one is getting more dollars behind it than the other one because it's you know we've shown that this ties to performance. And then lastly, during the flighting of a campaign, you actually can see when individual pieces of creative start to decay in performance. Learnings have already started to come in, and you can, if you want to, now optimize those and, and see the changes. And so it's, it's sort of like those four integrated points throughout, and that gets you essentially like an intelligent content supply chain. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I mean, especially I love that last point too, if I could just say, which is basically it said like, you know, figure out what sucks and don't do it anymore. <laughs> I, I think sometimes that's half the battle of marketing. We don't get rid of enough stuff that doesn't work. That Go might be ahead, half the right, battle in life uh, as well as marketing. Yeah, well, that, that's true. <laughs> if I can mitigate my mistakes, I'll be doubly off better. Exactly. That's true. <laughs> Thank you. There, there's actually a lot of academic research that looks at distributions and say, yeah, instead of trying to move the middle, you 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 lop off the lower half and you, you automatically do that. So you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, right. Mathematically. Right, the interesting part in that last piece has been the issue of latency and clean rooms and trying to close the loop fast enough. Especially when you have things like, you know, a lot of Greg's research at, at MMA Global around brand as performance say that the performance may be two, three, four, it might be multiple years later for something. Talk to me a little bit about how you think about really low latency measurement and feedback. And if we're using something that's so fast that makes you adapt, are we sure it's the right thing and we're not grabbing the short-term performance and losing the long-term? That's a big part of the reason why we focused on the media metrics in the beginning because they're, they're so fast. There's so much velocity there. It enables you to be agile in your creative response and, and then measure you know, the results from that and, and sort of build the loops. I think the Rex, though, because we're able to go back multiple years in this, I actually think you can do that analysis with a longer term point of view. You just need data across that. Yeah. So you can go back and look from, you know, two years ago and see that, you know, this campaign and these creative elements and this, and that led to, you know, these media metrics. And then here are the downstream brand behaviors and, and then the sort of, you know, further downstream, you know, sales behavior. So that's really not where we are in most cases. We're still sort of focused on the kind of more obvious, like, you know, kind of immediate. But I, I do think most of the data exists there to do that. And it might actually be a really interesting study that, frankly, we could, we could do together. And we would, we would love to do that with you guys. 
It'd be fun to figure it out. I think that that's, I think that was the issue in the early days of the internet, which was whether click-through was predictive of brand lift and, and sales. And it turned out not to be very predictive in a lot of cases. And so, yeah, I think that now the question for our AI age is if our high velocity metrics, the ones that we get, you know, today or in the next couple of days, are they predictive of, of really building the right relationship? And I, I worry that they're right for maybe existing customers, but maybe not for someone who doesn't know the brand yet. And we're going to have to think about how do we get audience and the ability to segment audiences and then, and then apply the AI accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is frankly going to become even more relevant. I think a lot about the rise of, you know, performance max and advantage plus and some of these kind of black box, you know, end to end AI systems. And I mean, to exactly your point, like they're looking at a lot of like sort of, you know, fast twitch, you know, responses and, you know, one of our clients is LVMH. We 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 won a, an innovation award with them this summer, and spent a bunch of time with you know, Matilde. And yeah, you know, this idea that like they're focused above it, everything else on increasing desirability over the span of a hundred years. And so, if that's your goal, then optimizing for like clicks in the immediate, like it's hard to imagine that that's going to actually tie. <laughs> Hey, Alex, let me ask you a kind of funny question about this because, you know, listen, uh, Rex is the founder of MTA, as I mentioned. I think I, through Rex and then here at the MMA, have done probably more public MTA studies than almost anybody, right? And there's a very funny question that comes up. If you ask Vasilis, who did it on my team, who did all that research, if you ask him, say, hey, what's the best marketing mix? And Vas will always answer the same, which it depends. Are you going after brand or are you going after performance? So I'm curious in VidMob, have you actually seen that the creative should be different? Have you figured out like what the difference would be in brand messaging versus performance-oriented messaging, what creative looks like? Oh, absolutely. It varies from brand to brand. But what we see is whether you're trying to drive, you know, awareness or conversions or brand lift or, you know, sales, like there's different tactics for each. For the same brand, it would be very different. Yeah, absolutely. Well, to take like a car, like where, I mean, if you put $5,000 off, if you buy the car this week, that's going to drive a very different, right? The classic one is the deal versus the brand. But the, yes, unpack that for a lot, because I think the listeners would be really interested in how computer vision has helped you gain the insights on the different features that lead to an immediate deal-oriented conversion versus maybe more of a brand building, desirability, I'll pay a premium conversion. Yeah, and I think it is different when you're dealing with sort of feed-based content versus more sort of like longer form. You know, I, I, I sort of tend to have this view that, you know, if you think about over the span of like a, uh, you know, like a two-hour movie, I'm not sure that VidMob's technology would be terribly useful there. <laughs> you know, like that's something that we process in a purely human way. And, may, and maybe there are certain, you know, components of that where you're trying to drive an emotional response and, so, and, and, and that might be useful, but I certainly wouldn't want to put us up against, you know, James Cameron or something. <laughs> but if you're scrolling through a feed and you're going to see something for, you know, a, a relatively small amount of time, I think we process that more like machines. And so there it becomes very relevant how a machine processes it because they're actually quite similar. That's a lot of what we're doing is saying, all right, well, in these, you know, sort of, you know, shorter exposure environments in sort of a complex, you know, sort of low attention, you know, type of world, what is the best thing to do to drive KPI X versus KPI Y on platform Z versus platform, you know, N? 
because they are all quite different. You know, like the TikTok's behaviors, even though it looks the same as Snap, not the same. Oh, my God, Alex, I, I'm feeling so super vindicated by what you're saying here, because, listen, there have been debates at the MMA board level, at the at CMO level that have said repeatedly, they go, yeah, we put brand and performance together. And I'm like, I'll bet you that's wrong. And people would sort of do it. It's very interesting. I love this. I mean, Rex and I know that from a media mix standpoint that they're not the same, but I don't know that I'd actually heard from a creative standpoint yet. Yeah. I feel like sometimes it's helpful to just take these things to extreme. Let's say you're running like the you know, Nike spot on Colin Kaepernick, you know, you know, sometimes it's worth, you know, giving up something to protect everything or you know, whatever the exact, like, can you imagine if at the end of that, it's like, buy now. Yeah. The brand that goes away, right? You take, you know, think different and run that. So, so I just, I, I think that, you know, when you take it to the extreme, it becomes pretty obvious. And, and when you, you know, take it less extreme, it's just the results are still there. They're just a little less obvious. You know, listen, I, my previous company was a games business and I, suffered for you know a, a decade watching people call game CMOs sophisticated marketers just for throwing a bunch of you know garbage at the wall and letting the Facebook algorithm figure out whatever was best <laughs> and you know ultimately you know as we got past ATT and and that sort of world ended what happened to mo- a lot of those companies is they they essentially went to zero the day they turned off because there was no brand no differentiation yeah. and no lasting value and so I, I do think that as we head into this world of kind of you know content infinity, and that, that that AI is unquestionably bringing, I think brand is going to be more important than ever. And I think creativity is going to be more important than ever. And so I think, you know, if we can together help marketers understand this and then help them understand how best to craft a brand campaign versus, you know, performance campaign, because those are still going to obviously be needed. We'd love that. That'd be, that'd be really useful. Rex, this is funny that it's a tech guy telling us how the damn marketing business works, isn't it? Seems appropriate to me. You know, or I'm sort of not really a tech guy and not really a marketing guy. Sorry. You're a tech guy with brand <laughs> principles. How's that? I don't know. But <laughs> the, the bridge. Well, I, I do think that uh, you have to get kicked in the teeth to understand some of these lessons. And it sounds like the games one, it was the kind of that, wow, you know, now I, I, I see that if we didn't build a brand, we don't have value once the algorithm isn't working for us. I think the tension that you're capturing in this moment where we're at with AI is that on the one hand, we can see that with creative optimization from AI, you can double the amount of conversions that you can get. I mean, we're seeing that in the Consortium for AI Personalization studies that we're doing, which is that if you give the AI a hundred different versions to work with, you know, different some of it's just different layouts, like male voiceover versus female voiceover, a different music. But sometimes it's also different images, and that can mean that you push into different brands. One thing that I've seen firsthand was it when I was working on the Warner Brothers campaign for Creed, we did find that different versions appealed to people who loved Rocky. Like if you put the Rocky theme song in the background and Rocky Balboa, you know, Sylvester Stallone. Someone as old as Greg would like that. But someone young like me and you, we would like Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> oh, 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 we're bringing age into it now. Alex, can you filter that out? What do you think? Age uh, makes a just, difference? I, I was envisioning how much of a struggle it would be to get up those stairs. Uh, <laughs> so, but, but it was interesting because if you wanted to get a younger demo, that was, especially one that was more urban rather than you know, Greg and I's suburban existence, then the different uh, music soundtrack 
that actually brought in different audiences. We could see that as we were looking at the data. And, and back to your point about creative, there's as much as a 400% difference if you put the right creative in front of someone versus mismatching the creative. So I just think about your point. I'm like, it's interesting because you have this idea that I think it was McDonald's who developed, maybe it was Larry Light with the brand journalism, where you want different stories and different versions, but you have to have a core essence of the brand that still carries across. Yet the AI technology left unchecked would kind of explode that out, grab a little bit of incremental benefit, but might trade off a longer term brand effect. So I just think you're so interesting at the point. I think you described it as a Mr. Potato Head problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. Right? I feel like this might be another thing that betrays our age. But yeah, like I think in terms of Mr. Potato Heads, where like, you know, to me, DCO, at least in its kind of traditional construct, is essentially like a Mr. Potato Head randomizer. <laughs> it's like, all right, you have this, you know, spreadsheet of, you know, copy, you have, you know, this spreadsheet of background images, you have this spreadsheet of things, and now put it in the Mr. Potato Head randomizer and let's see what it looks like with glasses and funny arms and a mustache. And the algorithm will figure it out. And I just think like where we're going to is sort of two things. One is we have to be more purposeful in our creative because- Because it matters. It matters. And the, the reality is, I think uh, Nassim Taleb, you know, it's, you know, sort of talked about like, you know, sort of give a million monkeys a typewriter and one of them will write the Iliad, but I wouldn't give him a, a book guarantee for his next book. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that always struck no, me about that deal. is that if you're in, in DCO, you're publishing all the other 999,000 books. <laughs> And, and like, there's just no way that's good for your brand. So like, I, I want to be more purposeful in this. And most importantly, if you're going to have a wide variety of content, either because you have, you know, regional creatives that are adapting it all over the world or because you're putting different, like you need to have a system in place that you're learning from all those different places so that that's then funneling back up and making you smarter at the front end. And so that I think... It's time to move past Mr. Potato Head. Yeah. At least like if we're going to put you know arms in the sockets, let's, let's at least know which ones are the best ones. Well, and I think that that's the tension, which is that we do know that we can get incremental performance and benefit out of having more diversity of messages and images. I think the challenge becomes how do you get all that extra goodness from the AI personalization without compromising your brand core? And you have a really good point that I'd love to have you talk about a little bit. Uh, I'm going to talk about in our AI training coming up, which is the other thing is we need to make sure that we're as we're using these generative tools, we are enhancing some of our goals around diversity and inclusivity. And some of the AI doesn't do that if you don't have you know, the right guiding hand. And so I know you also have the ability to look at what's been produced and to do some of the DEI checks. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually like one of our newest components of the platform. Like we're, we're sort of just rolling it out in beta now to a couple of clients. And, you know, we're sort of starting like it's it's an area that you want to do right, right? And, and so we're starting cautiously. And I think the the idea first and foremost is just, hey, this isn't about sort of tying through to performance. This is about helping marketers just have visibility into if they have certain goals in their creative, they want their creative to represent the audience that they're communicating, then let's just give them the ability first and foremost to measure how they're doing against that. Because a lot of times they just, they don't, right? And, and, you know, they may actually be doing quite well in, you know, North America or some other region that's actually sort of top of mind for the CMO. But then they find out that, oh, actually, you know, when I look at the data across, you know, LATAM or, you know, Eastern Europe or, you know, some other place that's sort of not top of mind, 
boy, we're really not living up to the principles of our brand. And so where we're starting is just giving people a way to assess all their creative and break it down and understand the age, get a view of like sort of, you know, age inclusivity, get a view of sort of, you know, declared gender inclusivity, and then get a view of like skin tone. So people can sort of say, all right, well, across the, you know, the 50,000 pieces of creative I have in market, how am I doing against these goals? And, and I think that's a good place to start. And we're seeing marketers really excited about where it goes from there. You know, we'll work with the marketing community and, you know, just try and support them basically. Based on what you know, what you experience, what you watch from, you know, the top 100 brands, the thousands of ads that you're evaluating, the machine learning that's giving you back those insights, do you have a a summary of what you would tell people? I think it's one of either two things. Like, like how do you think they should be adopting AI into marketing if you want to go at that? Or you might just want to say in a more broader sense, like, what do you think people could do better to be better marketers today? Where would you point them? Yeah. Okay. So there's a couple of things that we've seen. I think the first one is probably obvious, but I think it's just, this is not Web3. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a gimmick. Yeah. AI is real. This is the real deal. It's going to impact all of our lives, hopefully positively. Yes. But, but this is definitely very real. So that's, that's sort of point number one. And, and, and I think that the other thing that comes with that is I don't think anyone appreciates how quickly it's going to advance. Yeah. Yeah. We, we tend to think of the future and what pace that things will evolve into the pace that they have evolved. You know, we, we expect to see the same amount of change in the next 10 years that we saw in the previous 10 years, but that's not how exponential curves work. And we've all been trained on Moore's law, which is, you know, things get twice as good every 18 months. But AI, if you listen to OpenAI or Amazon, they both say that AI computes doubling every 3.4 months. So we're talking about something that's, that's advancing 20 to 50 times faster than anything we've ever seen. And so if people are saying, yeah. hey, you know what? Like, I'm not that focused on AI. I'll pay attention when it becomes real. This thing's going to blow right past all of us. And so like the time is, is right now. So, and then, and then the, the last thing I would say is it has to be done in conjunction with your whole kind of you know, workflow. Like it's, this isn't this something that just exists in like experimentation land. Like we're starting now to work with brands, agencies on both the creative and the media side. And that's really where we start to see impact where, you know, like as one collective team, we're, we're sort of working together. We're bringing media and creative together in ways that they frankly haven't been in 30 years. And when you get into the actual like everyday way of working, then the magic happens. I love it. I love it. Yeah, there's a there's a word of warning. Yeah, I like it. I agree. I love it. Hey, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, we're looking forward to following up with you and figuring out ways we can work together. Yeah, love it. That's it for this episode of Decoding AI for Marketing. I'm Rex Briggs. And I'm Greg Stewart. Be sure to catch all our episodes, plus subscribe, follow, rate, and review in your favorite podcast app. You can get transcripts and more information on our website, decodingaiformarketing.com. And to learn more about MMA and membership options, go to mmaglobal.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>